Hi, I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay. Today we are talking about the Star Wars prequel trilogy, which of course includes The Phantom Menace, released in 1999, written and directed by George Lucas, Attack of the Clones, released in 2002, screenplay by George Lucas and Jonathan Hales, directed by George Lucas, and Revenge of the Sith, released in 2005, written and directed by George Lucas. I'm joined by the Lessons from the Screenplay team, writer Trisha Aran. Hello, everybody. Writer Brian Bittner. Hello. And editor Alex Cairos. Hi. So the Star Wars prequels are things that people have talked about <laughs> a lot. Uh, and so I think <laughs> what I want to try to do with this with this episode is to not simply have it be an hour long beating up the prequels session, kind of like what we try to do with uh, the Game of Thrones episode. I feel right. like aim for constructive uh, analysis as much as possible and then see what happens. We still got to have some catharsis, but also construction. One of the things I do want to talk about also, because I think this is important, is what age we were when the prequels yeah. came out. And so I was 13 when The Phantom Menace came out. And then, so what is that then? 15 for Attack of the Clones and 18 for Revenge of the Sith. And that's pretty much you tr- yeah, also. Yeah, because yeah, you're born in 86, right? Yeah. Yeah, me too. So basically the same age and... Very formative years they are. Indeed. Yes. Indeed. And Alex, you're... I mean, you're younger than you guys, so basically the same age. Okay. Brian? Well, <laughs> gather around, kids. Phantom <laughs> 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 Yeah, we talk about this sometimes where us being 37 and 33 is like whatever, but there are those moments where when you're just even two years off from somebody where it's like, oh, that thing that everybody who was 14 at the time was doing, people who were 12 didn't care about or mm-hmm. whatever. So for me, I was 17 when The Phantom Menace came out. And so I was like just entering into like my most cynical years. <laughs> sure. <laughs> 2002 and 2005, I was, I guess, 20 and 23. So in college and like learning about film and, <laughs> you know, all this kind of stuff. And just, you know, I, I still appreciated the prequels for what they were but it was definitely going to the theater with just a total cringe face on just going okay that but all right here's the next thing and i'll tell my episode two experience a little later on but yeah it was definitely a different age than if i had been just entering into my teen years when episode one came out as sort of like okay i'm still kind of enough of a kid now to go on this ride i was just i was like leaving leaving childhood behind Well, this is is my question for those of us then that were younger. Did you guys hate these movies immediately? No. I don't know that I would even say that I hate them now. Okay. Well, the only one that I really didn't like on first viewing was episode three. Okay. And that was when I was like, I was... A little older. Near the end of high school, I think. Um, I was about to graduate, I think. So at that point, I was more cynical. I was more well-versed in like cinema. Mm -hmm. So I had a harsher lens on that movie. (laughs) See, because I I basically feel the same way. And and I did not hate these movies at all when they first came out and kind of thought they were fun, as a matter of fact. Because the thing about 13-year-olds is they're not that discerning. I loved episode one. I was down with it. I had the episode one computer game. I had all the things, episode one. Yeah. I mean, just in a 13-year-old brain, like, 
lightsabers and Jedi jumping around and like that kind of covers a multitude of sins to be honest and Darth Maul is just so cool yeah Darth Maul is so cool I had this like very specific frustrating experience with episode one where the ending was spoiled for me like I feel like it was my first encounter with well the soundtrack had a track that said Qui-Gon's noble end the soundtrack was released before the film right I bought it yikes and I saw Qui-Gon's noble end (gasps) it was very yeah, and they released like a st- like an audio storybook version of the movie before the movie came out that includes Qui Gon dying at the end. Is this before and like spoilers? Like people didn't think I about think spoilers. Was, yeah, yeah, and because literally in my like eighth grade class, it was like Star Wars is coming out this week. Let's do something fun. Let's listen to the audio book of the upcoming movie. And so in cl- like I couldn't <gasps> leave class. Wow. They were playing it in class, and it just spoiled the like, entire Qui-Gon movie. The That's entire really movie. weird. It, it was, was also before Liam Neeson. As the mentor character died in uh, every other movie, right? Uh, <laughs> so the casting of Liam Neeson like, wasn't necessarily ruining. I it. think from 1999 to 2005, Liam Neeson dies in like four movies as like the mentor, mentor. character. But I, I feel like the lead up to Episode One was like my first experience of like true hype. Like, oh my god! And just the like hype the was childhood real. hype of like. The trailers coming out and there was like a Star Wars Insider magazine that I subscribed mm-hmm. to. And so for like two years leading up to it, I was like following every single thing. And I was like, oh, they have this cool. She's playing me and this is Anakin. Look, like, look, parents, it's a young Anakin. And they were like, what's going on? Um, <laughs> but I was so, so excited leading up to it. My dad literally, he was like in New York for work or something. And the FAO Schwartz toy store was like opening at midnight on a certain night to release the episode one toys and he went and stood in line at midnight to go get like the darth maul toy and that's cool some key action figures from episode one (gasps) like that's how big and it was like a huge deal like lines around the block like the merch was like real well (laughs) i mean that really is kind of when like fandom like modern fan in in the sense that we say it now because right at the advent of the internet and like all of that stuff happening that's when fan groups I mean really fandom had existed has existed since the beginning of time but you know sort of like in the 20th century we think about fandom starting with Star Trek and that like when conventions really started becoming a thing Mm and and people you know, we got committed and learned every little detail and geekdom, right? But then modern fandom is like very much a product of the internet age. And so 1999, the new Star Wars movies coming out kind of created this perfect storm of fandom in a way that, you know, is what caused those people to be lining up on blocks like two weeks before the movie came out, like right. camping out on their right. sidewalks and stuff like that. <laughs> Yeah, oh, for God. episode one, The Phantom Menace. Yo, wow. <laughs> <laughs> we, we talk about toys and stuff, but I had a friend who was more excited about this stuff than I was, and he worked in a movie theater, so we could just go watch Phantom Menace in the theater whenever we wanted, yeah, yeah. and we did oh, multiple nice. times, which is just fun to do. But then we'd go to Walmart at two in the morning, because I grew up in central Pennsylvania, where it's that or go to Denny's. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, but then he'd look through all the Star Wars toys and be like, oh, I'm going to get my Plo Kloon and my Captain Panama. Panaka. Yeah. <laughs> Panaka. Yeah. But it was that weird thing of, you know, we talked about toys being what you know about a thing. I think it was Star Wars, even the Star Wars video games. I'll play a Star Wars video game and play it a lot and fall in love with it. And then I'll rewatch one of the movies and I'll see some like structure in the background where I'm like, oh, that's the thing in the middle of that hall. Like the way that 
external ex- extracurricular <laughs> you know <laughs> media mm-hmm. can make you fall in love with a different thing so you're going back and forth and being like oh now i appreciate the movie more because of this other thing that i saw or experienced outside of the movie which star wars does really well because it's such a huge world and did you guys have star wars cards also were you star wars card collectors i'm I'm sure i had some cards yes man every guy that i knew every boy in my grade was like had all of these star wars cards and they were like the thing to get because this is like right around pokemon as well and so people are collecting pokemon cards and then there's star wars cards and that's like what everybody has and they're trading Wow, we're old. Did anybody else <laughs> have like dial up internet desperately trying to load the trailer for yes. episode oh, one? Yes. Yes. Yeah. The like, like the 240p maybe yeah, like, trailer. The tiny pixelated box. Right. But it was like, you know, that Windows XP, like Green Hills, and mm-hmm. then like the ships are appearing. Yes. And oh my God, everything is amazing. Like, I, I remember they played it on the news. Like I watched oh, yeah. it because yeah. they played it on the news because it was news that there was a new Star Wars movie coming out. You better yeah. believe it was news. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Like the hype was insane. I can, yeah, my it God, was, was insane. So much fun. And there was also the fake trailer that was Braveheart footage, but um, they replaced the oh uh, all the swords with lightsabers. I think I remember. This. I think it's like Christopher Walken from the Prophecy, and it was like, oh, he's gonna be the bad guy what? and stuff. It was it's a much better trailer. Man, <laughs> early early internet stuff. Fans and then, and then, of things today have it easy. Yeah, things mm-hmm. are so accessible there's like a glut of information now where there's more available than you even want to know right like i've been in you know ostrich mode full on for all new star warsy things for like the past two months easily Mm -hmm. yeah it's just such a wow different world we have we have trailers for trailers now yeah we have trailers (laughs) for a teaser for a trailer that has a five second teaser for the trailer you're about to watch in case you're going to skip it and like yeah it's ridiculous yeah well, should we talk about the actual experience oh, of watching The Phantom Menace? <laughs> yes. I think one thing I want to just sort of put forth is that I had in my head kind of a, a ranking of the prequels of like my favorites. Mm. Um, kind of since, you know, after three came out, I kind of had I, I've, I've been a prequel, not apologist, defender, <laughs> a, a staunch defender. Staunch? Yeah, that's a word. You got it. I mean, are you staunch is the question. Staunch is a strong word. Yeah, that's true. How staunch are you? I'm going to walk that back. But for a very long time, like, I just Casual loved... defender. <laughs> yes, I like that. Like, I just love Star Wars so much. And again, the hype of, you know, growing up, there were the original movies and I loved Star Wars so much. But it was like, oh, it's too bad there will never be another Star Wars movie. And like, little did I know. But then it was like, they're going to make new Star Wars movies. And just like the joy of that, like lasted a very long time that took me many many years into semi-adulthood so i had my uh, my ranking of the prequels of which was my favorite which ones i thought were best and after revisiting them this last week i that's actually shifted (gasps) uh, which i was surprised about mine mine threatened to shift but i don't know that it has but go on well i want to hear everybody's rankings yeah yeah okay should we just go around you have to go first yeah you have to go first now yeah sure uh, so originally, uh, three was my favorite, two was my second favorite, and one was my least favorite. Because even as a child, I was very disappointed in episode one, actually. Really? Because as I mentioned in the last episode, I like my Star Wars in space, and episode one is very terrestrial and mm-hmm. not a whole lot happening. Podcast or podcasting. <laughs> 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 Pod racing is not like 
space battles and I would, was not on board for any of that. Anyway, but so now I think my ranking is actually two, three, one. <gasps> and we'll get into all of this. Wow. But let's continue around. Brian? So my ranking was, um, if you listen to Snoop, the uh, Long Beach area code, the 213. Uh, <laughs> 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 I'll, uh, I'll, I'll talk about my experience with episode two later. But uh, I think that two might have some of my least favorite stuff of all Star Wars in it. But if you remove that five to ten minutes, I think it's a really <laughs> right. solid movie. And three, as you kind of said, Alex, I just feel like I felt so defeated by three seeing it in the theater yeah, I was just, that's how i felt too right yeah. so it sort of has always been my least favorite star wars movie just period um because i feel like two has bad things peppered throughout three is like every scene even the good scenes are like yeah but also this is here and also that line is in this scene and that kind of thing Rewatching them recently and then one in the middle just it's fine and i did i do have like a little nostalgia seeing it with my friends in high school Rewatching them I feel like three has aged better for me. Like, I feel like I enjoyed a little bit more each time I watch it, but I don't think my ranking has changed, but I'm, I certainly questioned it. I'm a very solid three, two, one person. That's the, <laughs> I, that's, I don't, I don't feel the need to say more about it, but I'm sure we all will. So mm-hmm. sure. Okay. So three, two, one and Alex, I think I'm with Brian, but, but actually it's funny for me, the, the thing that threatens to shift just because I don't really like any of them anymore is that <laughs> one, I have the most childhood joy associated with. Mm-hmm. So now I'm almost like, screw it. One, two, three. But I think if I'm being honest about like my actual enjoyment of the movies, probably two, one, three. Word. Wowzers. Yeah. Well, I, there's a lot to talk about here. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things I also just want to say, so going into episode one, I they're revisiting it. I was reminded by, I was reminded that, there's so much of the Star Wars universe that I feel makes sense and I like about Star Wars that was introduced in The Phantom Menace, like the idea of Coruscant and Jedi Padawans and double-bladed mm-hmm. lightsabers, force it, it, pushing. It's definitely taken for granted now, yeah. right? but it wasn't in the original trilogy. Midichlorians, everyone's favorite. Oh, God. <laughs> hey, you know what? I never reminded midichlorians, really. I never thought that was that big a problem. It's it's the scientific marker of a spiritual thing. But it like removes all the romance of it. Like it's I did appreciate rewatching one cuz obviously yes, I that is the most criticized thing about the force is this unknowable thing and oh no, it's scientific. Um but I did appreciate that it was the midichlorians make you more sensitive to this mysterious un- unknowable thing. It was right. like, yeah, the force itself isn't necessarily different, but having that sort of it's scientific- like a sciencey way of explaining why some people are strong with the force, right? Yeah, which is frustrating, but not not literally saying here's why he has superpowers because his blood is mutated or something, right? You know? Right. And catching that detail this time around did help me yeah. reconcile some of my feelings with the Medichlorians. And even things like Sith, like the idea of Sith mm-hmm. didn't happen. Right, the right. word so Sith then, is not yeah. an original trilogy. Yeah. So lots of good things came from the Phantom Menace. <laughs> well, here, so here's my defense of the Phantom Menace. It's an indefensible movie. I mean, there's, there's, there's I mean, it's almost Brechtian, the way the dialogue is delivered yes. throughout mm-hmm. in a way that is almost astonishing. Yes. Where the, the way... <laughs> People talk in that movie is utterly lifeless. <laughs> it's, yes. It's almost, I don't know how it could be unintentional after a certain point. Like, 
like did all the actors just kind of agree we're going to approach this with like kind of a stoic <laughs> i don't know it i just don't understand how they managed to pull that off you know nobody broke the stoic dispassionate delivery of dialogue i don't know you've got your side characters you've got your Watto and your boss that's true mask that's true and, i yeah. guess everybody who's cg got yeah. colorful but all like all the humans that were like real humans like across the board like, yeah stoic delivery it's really amazing obi-wan has some moments well i feel like and those are those are amazing too because <laughs> Seeing Ian McGregor try, they're to supposed act. to be like the jokes. Like, oh, he's like boy. negotiations were short. I, <laughs> like, like I remember even as a thirteen-year-old, <laughs> that being like a breaking point yeah. where I was like, I need to lower my expectations in this moment. Well, I didn't even understand like what was happening in that moment because I mm-hmm. like it's the way like it cuts out of that scene at that moment. It plays as if that was supposed to be like a joke to end the scene with, mm-hmm. but it doesn't play as a joke. So it's just a weird last line that doesn't really make sense. To my child brain and so i just kind of like was confused by why he said that and what it meant for me i, I didn't get anything from it you mcgregor is my favorite part of the prequels so sure. You know, for sure yeah. yeah at the very least i'm like hey he's on screen <laughs> yeah <laughs> but sure. I, i'm here to def- defend episode one so okay, okay. Go. episode one i still feel looks like a movie <laughs> and okay um i actually like the way it's shot a lot i mm. think there's a there's a there's a level of craft to the cinematography and the way shots are framed uh, the way uh, action scenes are staged, uh, the way that just it kind of has a filmic quality to it that still feels like Star Wars to me, just from a format perspective. Whereas two and three, I start to feel like I'm in like an an artist's rendering for like a proposed architectural building, and like, <laughs> but we have living people walking around it. Like, like I, this I, may <laughs> collapse. We're not sure. I, 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 I feel like I'm in like an, an early rendering for this like room in Coruscant, but it hasn't been finished yet. But now we're gonna like put the live actors in it. Like, mm. there's a lot of there's a there's a vibe in two and three that does not feel like a film anymore to me. Um, and episode one, the, a lot of the CG has not held up so great, especially the Gungans. Um, but that aside, there's a feeling and a craft to a lot of the a lot of the shots and a lot of the places, a lot of the production design, the costumes. It still just feels rich and like a movie to me in a way that by episode three, I just feel so disengaged and I feel like it's so bouncy CG nothingness. And I've and episode one retained a little bit of that OG trilogy vibe for me in that way. Yeah, like episode episode three when it's just Yoda and um, Palpatine are just throwing booths at each other. I was like, it, we're just <laughs> I mean, we're just watching a cartoon. I mean, now. I'm like, kind of down for that part just because it's like fan service. No, no, but I mean, yeah. I mean visually. Visually, like we're, sure. we're yeah, like yeah, we're yeah. just this is just a cartoon like there's I think, no, no seriously I think the worse, way they move yeah. around that space mm-hmm. is like pure cartoony yeah yeah. Well, I think worse is Obi Wan on like the lizard thing next to like a hamster ball. Like, yeah. we'll get to that. But. Well, <laughs> I feel like I want to enter this as one of the first like universal filmmaking lessons that I think everyone should take away from the prequels. And I think the first one is don't have people ride CG animals. Mm. It doesn't look good, right? True. In any of them, it's still like still in modern movies. Most of the time, it looks really bad. And it bothers me so much anytime anyone's riding an animal right. in these prequels because it looks awful. Ding! Lesson number one. <laughs> well, I was thinking about CG in general, especially after we talked about the despecialized editions of uh, the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, rewatching the prequels, like 
makeup in a movie 50 years ago is never going to look worse. It's always going to look the way that it looked. Mm. CG is only is always only ever going to look as good as it looked the year that that movie came out. Um, so if I go back and I watch, you know, if you watch Nosferatu, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, Max Shrek still looks great. Like, um, but then when you sometimes you watch CG from two years ago and you're like, eh, they didn't really have that yet. So they couldn't do this yet. And I think that's the unfortunate thing, especially with the CG in the original trilogy is you're like, oh, I'd rather see the guy in the wolf mask. I'd rather see the ship on a string than see what yeah. looked good in 1997 or what looked good in 2004, whenever the, uh, the mm-hmm. DVDs were released. Um, so yeah, that's just an interesting choice about CG in general is just because it looks good today doesn't necessarily mean it's always going to look good. Yeah. And to George Lucas's credit, and this is my defense of Phantom Menace, he, you can fault him for a lot of things here and you can fault the choices that he made, but there is no doubt that he took some risks and made some choices. He definitely did not do what was completely expected of him. Right. He went out on a limb. He made some choices that he probably knew were going to piss off some fans. It's a movie about a trade blockade. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. I mean, that's the whole thing. It's it like you cast a very young child in a very important role. Mm-hmm. That's a choice and a risk. It's like, definitely a risk. It's yeah. I mean, there's there's all kinds of things here that that Gungans come to mind as a big risk. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, lots of this stuff, but and and some of the stuff that we also love. So I'm citing the things that you know are making us giggle. But you've pointed it out, Michael. It's like the stuff that we actually really love. Double bladed lightsaber. Coruscant is cool. Like. All of these things do work. They were bold de- decisions on George Lucas's part. And I tend to respect that from a filmmaker when I see it. And a lot, some of them do work. Yeah. It, it's also the first Star Wars movie to have just a lot of lightsaber play. Yeah. And, and I think yeah. every time someone is doing flips with a lightsaber, I just get excited and I'm happy. And I'll, I'll say something possibly really controversial, which is from a pure visual and choreography standpoint i think the lightsaber duel in episode one is the best yes of, of i agree movie. no yeah. controversial yeah. i agree absolutely yeah. correct yeah it's a cool idea the staging of it is cool like three I, different colors like yeah. and, and, and that's actually one of the parts of the movie that actually hits emotionally yes. yeah when mm-hmm. ewan mcgregor goes one-on-one with him at the very end after mm-hmm. he's killed qui-gon yeah you know ewan mcgregor really has an emotional experience there it's it's and it comes through it's actually a real moment in a movie full of strangely dead performances <laughs> it's a simple choice with those doors right yes like, mm-hmm. it's really simple but because you can see through them because he can see you know what's going on so he's part of the action but there's nothing he can do to engage it for an unknown limited but unknown amount of time it really ups the tension and makes that work and so like you know, we haven't done a deep dive into like action sequence writing yet, although I would love to at some point. But one of the best things you can do when you're writing an action sequence is create obstacles in the environment that prevent like that essentially split the characters up mm-hmm. right. and, and give, you know, it, it helps to create those dynamics we always talk about within the sequence where it's like this part isn't action now. It has to wait. And so it builds tension and builds tension until it explodes again when he, they can again engage each other. 
each other. And I love just Qui-Gon like meditating while yeah. Darth Maul yeah. paces like a panther that, back and forth. It's and that's great. another like new thing that's you don't see Jedi actually meditating in right. that way in earlier Star Wars movies. So yeah, there's a lot in this movie that we take for granted now. Mm-hmm. And one thing I wanted to bring up as a lesson is if you're gonna have a twist like Padme is the queen and there's been a stand-in <laughs> for the queen, but also the queen's been actually Natalie Portman some of the time, but not all the time. Like you gotta set that twist up better. Hang on, <laughs> hey, hang on, answer on it. You it did not it did not hit for me as a child. I was like, yeah, what's no. happening now? And like I all love right. Jake Lloyd's face during that moment. Yeah. <laughs> <She> <laughs> <forward>. Lesson two. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, what went wrong there? Because that that's a really strange part of this movie is this idea that it's supposed to be this big reveal, but it just doesn't land. Cause I think I was watching going, you know, we know what Natalie Portman and Kira Knightley look like now. And I think that I was watching it going, realizing that you see Natalie Portman on screen the first time you see Amidala and then it's Kira Knightley basically for the rest of the movie. Yeah. So but, then, but then for part of the time on Coruscant, it's Natalie Portman again. Right, but I feel like, like in the Senate. but I feel like at least intention-wise, whether or not it worked for people or not, intention-wise, it was by that time, you're not looking at Amidala's face anymore. You're like, there's Padme and there's the Queen and they're two separate people. And sure. that's hard to do when you're literally having different people play a character's face. But... Yeah, but you got to have one line of dialogue of like, you know, there are many enemies. We are always watching for her safety or just right. something. Some like setup. Some right. kind of setup. And, you know, Padme doesn't talk like she's stoned all the time. So. <laughs> when, and, Everyone is stoned all the time. I will not sign a trial of federation. I will not condone a course of action. Well, one of the things that I think bothers me is that it's inconsistent because yeah. if it was like the entire movie up until that moment, they'd been switched like after the first scene, then there's kind of a, okay, maybe I can get behind this quote unquote twist, but it goes back and forth throughout the movie. Like, and I remember I had to read, I think like an ancillary, like kids book about Queen Amidala back when this came out (laughs) that literally explained which parts of the movie is which person to like follow it. Mm -hmm. And she was like, Oh, now that I'm on Coruscant, like, you know, Padme thought to herself, now this is too important for my like handmaid to deal with. I've got to retain my position as queen. And it's like, this is way too confusing. This does not make sense for a movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I feel like my thing is that it doesn't really matter. It doesn't pay off right. that much. There, no. There's no, like, like, why is everybody shocked about it? Also, right. like, it's not, like, it didn't change anything. It kind of stands in for, you know, they go see the Gungans and they're like, we want you to die for us. Uh, and they're like, we don't know about this. And then, right. and then Padme's like, wait a minute, yeah. I'm the queen. And then everyone's like, oh. And then he says, you saw no thick and you saw better than the Gungans. No, Usan. Misa like a Oh God! Ow. You're welcome, human ears. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I, I agree with you. It's like they go to so much trouble to create a confusing plot element that they're then trying to pay off. The setup is not strong and not strongly established, but the payoff also isn't enough of a payoff for it to seem like the whole, you know, all those complexities were justified, like. And, or this goes back to maybe what we're talking about with like Ocean's Eleven, where it's like if you're gonna leave, if you're gonna like pay off something or like have it be a thing, it's not fun if it's not something we could never have figured out ever. And in this case, we right. basically could never have figured it out ever because we're just believing what the movie tells us. There's no 
there has been no um, history of like the movie trying to deceive us. Right. At that right. point. So we it, just buy what satisfying. we see with our eyes. We're like, yeah. woman in that costume is that character. I believe that. Right. Well, And I feel like, and maybe this can help bridge us toward episode two, where I, I think part of the reason it was there upon rewatching it was this idea of Padme wants to sneak out and see the rest of the world and like take in what Pulling is Pulling a Princess Jasmine. Yeah, I was just going to yeah. say. Right. <laughs> uh-huh. like, and like on paper, that's cool. I think that is an interesting idea that that could be what the story was had it been executed differently. And she discovers this person and all that stuff. Oh, my God. I just want that movie now. I just want, like, you know, Anakin, like, riffraff, straight (laughs) (laughs) raff. Running around on Tatooine. One thing I'll say also that struck me watching it this time was just how forced that scene is between Anakin and Padme after they leave Tatooine, where the entire time they're on Tatooine, She's complaining about the fact that they're trusting this boy. Why are we still here? Why are we giving him, you know, our fate with this pod race? Yada, yada, yada. And then on the ship, like five minutes later, she's like, I really care for you. Like things will change on Coruscant, but I'll never stop caring for you. It's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) This relationship was never actually established. (laughs) I feel like all the prequels read like a first draft. Right. Where it's like, Uh. this is what I want the movie to kind of look like. Right. And I put all the scenes together and then, you know, you're supposed to revise it like a million more times, but instead they went and made it. Right. That's how it <laughs> I just imagine reading that first draft being like, why why are there twenty pages that are blank except for in the middle it just says pod racing continues? <laughs> <laughs> well and like the version that's on Disney Plus or like the, the official yeah, the version that's DVD out there yeah. is like an extended pod race scene with right. like Oh good. It introduces more characters that don't mean anything right, at the beginning right. of the pod race you get to see all of them die you know like and it that's where i was feeling oh this is really just merchandise now like like and it's, it's for like the pod racer game which i loved it was a great <laughs> but, game it was yeah. objectively a great so i recognize all those characters from the game right but we don't need to see all of them wave to the audience in this movie for five minutes mm, yeah right beyond the screenplay is brought to you by skillshare Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of classes for creators, entrepreneurs, and curious people everywhere. You can take classes in writing, photography, filmmaking, and more. You name it, they've got it. So whether you're picking up a new skill for your day job, figuring out your next side project, or pursuing a long-time passion, Skillshare has classes for you. I love learning with tutorials. Having someone walk you through the steps and show you how to actually make a specific thing has always helped me quickly understand whatever concept I'm trying to learn. Skillshare is basically a site full of exactly that. Since we're discussing the prequels and character design, I thought I'd recommend a class called Writing Authentic Fiction, How to Build a Believable Character by author Sabah Tahir. It's a quick class that details her process for designing characters, highlighting different techniques and strategies she uses. And as we all know, having compelling characters is key to having a compelling story. I'll include the link to her class in the show notes, along with our special Beyond the Screenplay Skillshare link. Our listeners will get two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. Just head to Skillshare.com slash Beyond the Screenplay. Once again, that's Skillshare.com slash Beyond the Screenplay to get your first two months of Skillshare for free. 
Thank you to Skillshare for sponsoring Beyond the Screenplay. Some of the things that are are really troubling or just don't really work here are the character motivations. Because it isn't just the dialogue. Now, the way that they express their motivations is eye-rolly. But if the motivations made sense and felt earned, we would kind of be on board with it. Because as we talked about in the last episode about the original trilogy, it's like they're stilted dialogue is not exactly new to the Star Wars universe. It wasn't started in the prequels. There was always sort of stilted Shakespearean kind of dialogue. But the character motivations always made sense, and partly because, as we talked about last time, they were simple enough to understand. The problem is, when you have characters doing things that are not simple or clean-cut or clear motivations... It's hard for us to really get on board with them. And that's when we start to like the dialogue really starts to grate on us where it's like you are giving me a line of wooden dialogue instead of a real motivation. Right. And that is when we really start to jump ship on a movie is when the character motivations are not logically supported by the plot or anything that has gone on. Not just when the dialogue is badly delivered, because to be quite frank, it's mostly undeliverable. (laughs) Right. right. I well, feel like we cannot blame the actors. No, at no all. blame to the actors. And, yeah. and I love, we'll get to episode three, but I love how I feel in episode three, Natalie Portman is just done. <laughs> she's just like, God bless she's her. Like, I'm yeah. done. I'm, I've I'm done a, all I'm, I'm going I'm to stand on this blue screen. I'm going to say these lines. You know, this is it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you have, you have Liam Neeson and like he does almost better. He does better than most, but also. He's pretty great. Qui-Gon has understandable goals and yeah, motivations. Right. Also, Anakin's mom is pretty great. Yeah. I like Shmi. I like her too. Yeah. yeah. I had this moment watching it where I was like, Natalie Portman, Liam Neeson, and Ewan McGregor were in a movie together. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> what? But it was the Phantom Menace. <laughs> like, it it's this. so frustrating. Well, I have, like... <laughs> I have a sort of theory about Star Wars, the original six, which is that every actor is like one notch down from their... Ability. <laughs> with They're a, being downgraded their by the, with a few the exceptions. Harrison Ford, because he just chose not to care in a way that I think worked incredibly well and made his character like one of the best characters of all time. Uh, Ewan McGregor in his final "You are the chosen one" speech, where he's just excellent. And then, unfortunately, um, Ian McDermott during his "No, no, you will die" or whatever. And it's like, ooh, like he's pretty good in these movies, except when he's not. <laughs> I, I love him yeah. in these movies. I think uh-huh. he stands out as actually. I love the idea of like, like him, the most consistent performance. Yes, across all six movies. Yeah. Right, and because he's, he's like the only yeah. person that right like yeah, in yeah, yeah. more or less all six. I also like Samuel L. Jackson. Sure. I yeah. like him. Miss Windu again, clearly very easily understandable. I get what he wants in every scene. I also, have no problem with it. Also very stoic, but a yeah. Jedi, so maybe that's just really in, in a way that's a sort of waste of Samuel Jackson. Yeah, sure. right. <laughs> you believe it's in this boy? Like <laughs> you didn't you hired to send Jackson to say this party's over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But episode two. Right. Yeah. Well, so yeah, that's a good transition to episode two. Revisiting Attack of the Clones this time. Which is the name of episode two. Uh, every remember when... time you hear it, you're just like, who is it that much weirder uh, than anything else? Yeah. It is. I mean, Phantom Menace it is. is cool. Name like, another movie cool that starts title. with Attack of the that isn't Fifty Foot Woman or Killer Tomatoes. Crab Monsters. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember when they announced the title? 
like mm, no. no there were like headlines about it and i remember having a sinking feeling of like what oh, mm. no. wait that's a star wars movie it's called attack of the clones what i definitely remember having that but forcing myself to power through and be like but this one's gonna be better because he <laughs> learned his lesson and i remember going into i remember going into attack the clones and people were coming out of a screening and i was like standing with my friend we were nervous and we were like how was it and i remember this woman's <gasps> face no and she had the biggest smile on her face and she was oh, like good. it was great and i was like yes they did it let's go see attack of the clones <laughs> um, oh and so so like you were saying brian watching attack of the clones this time for me i was very i was bracing myself to hate it because again i remember it as being cringy like all the love story stuff is the stuff that immediately comes to mind that stuff feels like it's 30 minutes of the movie and it's five minutes of the movie right that's what and and watching again i think i think attack the clones was maybe the one i enjoyed the most actually as a kid because you know i was high school i was into you know action cool lightsaber things but also i was emo and there was like a love story the love theme john williams love theme i think is actually Mm -hmm. very beautiful john williams is great in these movies i mean he i might say he's the real hero of these movies (laughs) he's the protagonist it's legit it's amazing i do think though that this is another if we're gonna ding another lesson here, <laughs> where too much score, like he, like he's doing so much work. The score is doing right. so much work. It, it has it's, to exactly. It's <laughs> it's wall to wall score because otherwise it's not a movie. Like you don't have <laughs> like emotion happening. Uh-huh. And I was very conscious of that. Where I was like, I want the music to stop, but <laughs> if it stopped, nothing would be happening. Yes. I know. <laughs> Although sometimes he'll stop it like during a lightsaber battle or something. Yeah, like he'll stop cool. it in really right. effective ways sometimes. Yeah. yeah. But you got to carry us through these Anakin Padme scenes, yeah. right? Because otherwise, something. it's just too hard. Yeah, but so so Attack of the Clones on paper is, I think, the Star Wars movie that I want to make. Like, I would love mm. to go and remake because it's it's a noir love story detective. Like, it feels the most old timey. It is like, a detective. Story. It's a caper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A it's, caper is a good word. It feels like the big sleep almost, but like in space and like it makes as <laughs> little sense as the big sleep yeah. also, but yeah. it's like, uh, and so it's just, and it has, you know, there's rain. Anytime there's rain in a movie, thumbs up. There's then a lightsaber it's, fight. Noir automatically. In the rain. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there's like the whole chase through Coruscant, which, which is, is really cool. Cool. Mm. And I realized watching it that it's just Blade Runner. It's just it Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Which I hadn't realized before. <laughs> Um, so I feel like on paper, the story and the idea of what it is as just a unit of like storytelling is so cool. And I wish it was the best version yeah. of itself. Episode, I, I think without a doubt, episode two is the only of the prequel movies you can explain the plot of in about two sentences. Yeah. The rest of them, it's, there's so much else going on. Like we just talked about with episode one, there's a lot of, and then this, but then also this, and she's pretending to be that. <laughs> episode two is like one guy is going off to figure out who tried to kill someone. The other guy's protecting her. They fall in love. That's episode two. Like yeah. that is the plot of that movie. But I will say within those plots, I feel like the mystery itself and the way it unravels is just as convoluted and weird as sure. Phantom Menace to me. Right. Because... But it feels more focused than the other two, I would sure, say. Sure, sure. I just... I watching it again, I was like, okay, so it's there's Cypher Diaz. I think that is the person that is also Count Dooku, who is also known as Lord Tyrannus. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Correct. That, Darth, Darth so. Tyrannus. We don't Darth know that he's Cypher Diaz. I don't think, yeah. I don't, but so I don't think, I don't think we know who Cypher Diaz is. He died he's 10 years ago. He's the person who ordered the army. 
for, for somebody. <laughs> was it Qui-Gon? Like, wait, like, what are we supposed to make of that? And like, why introduce all these names with See, no payoff? Alex, you're making us look bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know that there is. We all just watched this movie. I tried really hard. We just watched to no, figure it. No, I was watching it like very intensely, being like, okay, I'm gonna get it this time. Like, <laughs> there's got to be a payoff for the Cipher Dias, and they say his name so many times. They really say his name too many times. <laughs> it's like all about this mysterious character, and I thought at the end. When Count Dooku goes and talks to Lord Sidious, he was going to be like, and you, Cypher Dias, did the plant. But he's like, you, Darth Tyrannus. Wait, what? Another name? Why? I have a lesson to ding here. Yes, ding. Okay. Lesson number four. Don't introduce your villains off screen during the crawl. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't work. We get that with Count Dooku. It happens with him. It also happens with General Grievous in the third one. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, which why it are you, super doesn't work with. Why are you introducing one of your main characters supposed to be this very menacing villain to me in the crawl? And then everyone's acting like I, I should already know who he is. It, it was like that feeling. I remember when I first saw both episodes two or, and three where I was like, should I know who this person is? Is he from the previous movies? It gives you that feeling where you're like, he he was in a book I should have read, or someone else knows who he is. That feeling that probably you have when you go to Marvel movies, Alex, right, right. where you're like, who's this villain? I should know who he is, right? And and or these aliens, or surely whatever, other people yeah. know exactly who they are. Who's this hero? Oh, it's we know whatever this side character. It gives you that feeling where you're like, I don't know anything about this person, and therefore it's really hard to be scared of them. Well, in A New Hope, Darth Vader, this I think, is, is, is in the scrawl, but he's in the first scene also. But And we see yeah. him come in and do something incredibly menacing. Right. General Grievous just coughs. Yeah, for no <laughs> explained reason in the movie. Well, and also, also as a villain, he's not very easily understandable. He is a what, sick robot. What is yeah. he? But he's got organic parts. Well, that's it, episode three. Right. Yeah. I actually did look up a lot of stuff about General Grievous because I was like. <laughs> right. It's there are ex- explanations. Yeah, just not in the movie that he's in. But not in the movie. In. Right. right. Same thing with Dooku. So real quick, Exhausting. I just consulted Wikipedia, yeah. Um, and uh, Sifo-Dyas was a human male Jedi Master from Minishi, and sure. he had this idea. He saw the war coming. He said, "Let's build a clone army." They said, "No, get off the Jedi Council." And he said, "Well, screw you. I'm going to go do it anyway." Uh, and then he went to go make the the thing. Count Dooku realized he was doing it, shot it down a ship, and then they took over the. The cloning project like we shouldn't have to look it up on wikipedia uh, absolutely like it should just be like count dooku did it or whatever like one of the characters in the movie did it who's working instead for of an the... unnamed character who we never meet or find out anything about right well and so this is a thing that i was thinking about as far as the continuation of episode you know going from one two and three and the continuation of the story across the prequels and i feel like two and three have trajectory to them there's plot holes constantly but i feel like you know if they introduced the death star we like i think that's one of the reasons i liked two when it came out is it felt like star wars where it was like oh i can see now mm-hmm. like how the these dots are going to connect to the movies i already know and i feel like episode one has very little of that mm-hmm. like it's just anakin basically and it's very like, like the ne- senator it's very naboo centric yeah you know? like there's a lot so of politics yeah that don't you don't understand how they're gonna play out and connect to the movies later well speaking of which like what is 
Palpatine's. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think Red Letter, Red Letter Media gets into some of this and their amazing Star Wars breakdowns. But Palpatine, like, I think this whole trilogy is like his master plan to become emperor, basically. Mm-hmm. And because he's orchestrating both sides all the time, like he's right. telling the Trade Federation to do stuff in Episode One, but also playing the senator from Naboo. Also very confusing. Yeah, and so it's like his he's like playing insane 3d chess with like let's do a trade blockade to cause this to happen then i'll become supreme chancellor and then i'll make the separatists with my count dooku padawan do this so that the war starts and then i have an army and like it's crazy 3d chess which is so convoluted yeah it's just i like the idea that it's a trilogy about how the emperor rose to power but i wish it was a coherent story of that yeah or like instead of it being some kind of master plan what if we just saw um the emperor acting opportunistic right where things go south you know with this like trade deal or whatever okay so let's say but let's say events outside of the emperor's control palpatine's control go south and he steps in and sees an opportunity for himself and then we kind of see him manipulating a little bit here and there and then we see another opportunity that presents itself and he like steps in to snatch that i think that would actually be a little bit more a understandable again we understand his motivations why is he doing it okay he he sees a chance to gain power right and also the having him play both sides is kind of not believable as well as being very confusing what we're talking about like so I can tell that the people that the bad guys are getting their orders from is the same guy that everybody is like trying to protect and listen to because it's just him in a robe that's over half of his face. I can tell that as an audience member, no one in the movie seems to have any idea, which is also incredibly confusing. It's like our movie. Are you trying to fool me, the audience member? If so, you fail. Right. Like, like what are we supposed to understand? Right. right. How I feel much like are we supposed to know? That's maybe like one of the most critical yes. problems with the prequels is like, I don't understand like who the movie is for. Who's the protagonist? <laughs> what do you think I know? What do you think I'm supposed to think that I know? Yeah. Right. When, right. Like it's clearly, you know, it's the emperor playing this long game. He's a senator, but like you linger on him in the last shot of episode. Like it's clearly being like, look guys, it's the emperor. But you still want it to be a twist. It's it's very right. puzzling. Right. Are we supposed from a to not know who the emperor is, or are we supposed to know the whole time? And if right. we're supposed to know the whole time, then like, why don't you play it that way? Mm-hmm. Like, it's playing it as if it's a twist. Yeah. My girlfriend did. I think early into episode three when we rewatched him, she said, oh, "He's working for the emperor, right?" And I said, "Are are you serious?" <laughs> yeah. And she said, "What?" And I said, "He is the emperor." She said, "Oh, okay." Oh, that that makes and like as soon as I said it, she was like, "Oh, of course he is," you know. But it was like the fact that like mm-hmm. we are watching these movies from like Star Wars nerd tower, you sure. know, <laughs> like it's and the not exact just... thing we're talking about, right? Yeah. The only thing we can tell is that these two people don't have any chemistry, mm-hmm. and there's a weird age gap between them. <laughs> yep. Ding ding. Important lessons. Also, like <laughs> scenes should have conflict in them. Also, <laughs> subtext is really important. Yeah. Like, oh yes. man, subtext. the dialogue, the on the nose romance dialogue yeah. like, oh my god and i think this is maybe one of the most important <laughs> lessons you can take from it is you know what does it look like when you don't have a subtext right what is it when the entire <laughs> love story is spoken directly right out loud and port like the you know the fireside scene right oh, well, I, I just love how we just how it just cuts to exactly. that scene they're just sitting silently she's in a dominatrix outfit <laughs> 
But she's like, Admittedly, George... she looks amazing. Yeah. But that George Lucas designed himself. You don't say. Yeah. Oh. And then she's like, wait, what? Like, but I'm a senator. You're a Jedi. It's like, what? what is this? How did they end up in this room? Like, what were they doing before the scene started? Like, it's, no, it's amazing. It's... It's fucking amazing. Like the cut because it's it's the right before that he's Truly. doing the, the like the force pair scene. Oh, also, I like how I, I realized pear. this time their dinner is like a piece of fruit each. Like they, they That's out. what people eat on Naboo. It's the traditional food of their They're culture, Alex. Dinner plates and then like a like a bowl of like three pears is put between them. Oh, I hate all of that so much. And they eat it with a fork and a knife. Fork and a knife. But yeah, but then it just cuts inexplicably to, and we have an establishing shot, but nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. And then he just launches into this monologue, and I just feel so bad for Hayden Christensen, like to be given that, like this is like the pre-existing circumstances of the scene are question marks. don't matter. And now you're going into There's this. There's no moment before. Right. This is the, yeah. Right. And, and this is like really basic love story writing. This is very much a ding. I think we're at lesson nine or something by now. Sure. But very basic love story writing. People have to fall in love for a reason. That right. means they have to have something in common that they deeply connect about, a way they see the world, that they deeply understand each other. Like... But Anakin's but, grown, and she's grown more beautiful, I mean. Yeah. So. <laughs> because anytime they're not talking and, about their romance, which I'm honestly kind of grateful for, anytime they stray away from how they feel about so yeah, each other. Just talk about democracy, please. <laughs> but, yeah. but even that is like, she's like, democracy. He's like, fascism. <laughs> like, and then no. he, like, he like makes up for it by riding a giant flea. Uh, and again. Then it's like. This goes back to lesson number one. And Don't they have roll for riding CG animals. Right. And they they roll for three miles and, <laughs> right. and then stop and then wipe. Too many wipes. Uh, when you have that many wipes, right. there's something the wrong original, with your script. <laughs> the original trilogy didn't have that many transitions. No. Like it didn't need them. Yeah. yeah. What was your thought, Alex? My thought was I was getting so many Tommy was so the room vibes oh, watching the love story this yeah. time. Wait, have you I, seen the cuts of him in Star Wars? <laughs> No. Oh, it's amazing. Okay, go ahead. I bet I, I understand the like crossover because there's so many moments in their love story in two and three that it felt literally like it was lifted out of the room. If you haven't seen the room, it's like one of the best worst movies of all time, and a lot of it is painful, weird, horrible romance dialogue. And it honestly, there were some moments that felt at that level in these movies, which I just I was blown away by. <laughs> But it is but it is something, going back to being positive, trying to, <laughs> it is something that, as you were saying, it feels like the first draft. It is something that nuancing the dialogue and developing the characters a bit further could really fix. Like, again, if you gave these two characters something real to connect over, right? So let's say, you know, he's going through his Jedi training and he's learning patience and he's learning like patience is really hard for him. And she's like, well, I feel that way. Diplomacy sometimes requires a lot of patience, literally anything. Yeah. Right. Something that they're like learning, growing together, seeing the world in a similar way. That's what romance develops based on. Give them some kind of life experiences that speak into why they are attracted to each other. To the, I, I was having basically exactly that thought that yeah, you were saying of you like, you could have fixed it. 
it's weird because structurally, you know, they go off and they're he's protecting her on Nabu, and then like they fall in love because reasons, and then he has this premonition with his mom, and then they go on this adventure, but they're kind of already in love. And I feel like maybe even just saving like they're falling in love across right. this whole thing and like him dealing with a you know a, a decently Tragedy. power powerful situation where yeah he loses his mom and he like gives in to the dark side in a way that i feel like is earned like i get yeah. that like yeah you'd be upset you'd kill all the sand people like and the women and the children <laughs> they're like them. i feel like it's, it's that thing where once again on paper, it all works, but then just the way it all plays out and the way it's delivered and the way people react to things, just none of it makes sense. Yeah, you have to do, again, character work, basic character work. So thinking about, <laughs> well, just thinking about, okay, so Anakin has been gone for how long now? So if you want to earn that choice with the Sand People, I think it's a strong choice. Force, again, put your character in a situation, force him to make a difficult decision. That's where character is revealed. Great and fine. But we have to have some kind of like, maybe right at the beginning, he's been having dreams about his mother. He feels like he should go back to see her, right? Right. Becomes the thread of this whole thing where he's like, I shouldn't have left her like that. As soon as I finish my training, I'm going to go back and find her. Something along those lines. And then also, the work between him and Obi-Wan could be really deepened as well. Where if he felt like, because they're, you really sort of have to set up Obi-Wan as like a father figure to him. But their dynamic never really deepens to that place for it to feel, or even like they're trying to go for brothers, right? Because that's what he says in this final God, thing. They're, mm-hmm. they're like opening banter with each other. It's so painful. Like it, mm-hmm. it's trying to do that thing, but it's, yeah, it's the first draft bad version. Why right. do I feel like you're going to be the death of me someday? Nah. <laughs> Nest of Gundarks. Right. But if you, <laughs> you buy, when you watch the Phantom Menace, you buy that the age difference between Liam Neeson, right? And then Obi-Wan and McGregor and then Jake Lloyd, you're like, okay, this actually could be like this generational handing down of wisdom. There could be this veneration towards the father figure, towards the Jedi master that is internalized, where it then becomes a real struggle anytime we see Anakin like push back or want to go a different way. None of that work is really done, though, because Anakin is just kind of cheeky from the beginning, and Obi-Wan puts up with it in a way that is totally confusing and doesn't, doesn't earn that tension. So when that split happens when they turn against each other it doesn't feel as weighty as it could when also anakin's very whiny yeah. from yeah. the very beginning yeah you know the opening scenes with him and padme when they're by themselves are just him complaining to her all the time i <laughs> hate like it here yeah. the beginning of their love story is just him whining and complaining constantly <laughs> It's basically, what if Luke couldn't go to Tashi Station to get power converters, <laughs> and that drove him to be whiny for a trilogy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and eventually turn to the yeah. yeah. Can I talk real quick about my experience seeing episode two? Because this is a very positive thing. My buddy, who is a big Star Wars fan, he said, do you want to go to New York to the Ziegfeld Theater, which is like a thousand person theater or something, to see episode two? And I said, sounds fun. So we, had, we got tickets to the 6 a.m. showing the day it came out. Uh, so we went up at noon the day before or like nine in the morning the day before or something to be in the long sidewalk line while we're waiting in line someone comes over you know hey kid you want to buy some tickets and uh we got ended up getting tickets to the 3 a.m showing and then Ah. while we're standing in line talking to people we end up getting tickets to the midnight showing 
So I ended up seeing episode two three times <gasps> within the first nine hours it was out. Wow. Which was a lot of fun. And I could tell you that the Yoda lightsaber duel was just as exciting the third time in a theater full of a thousand people as it was yeah. the first time. It was so fun. The whole finale of that movie, I do remember seeing it in theaters for the first time and it was exhilarating. Mm-hmm. The audience reaction was amazing. You know, from, I, from, I was like literally on my seat. Like mm-hmm. well, from the... You know, this party's over through the end. Yeah. I yeah. think it's just like pure fan service amazingness right. on opening night. Yeah. Like you've never seen that many lightsabers in a frame before. Yeah. Like 15-year-old brain at a meltdown. Right, right. It's yes. like the coolest thing ever. Yeah. yeah. So while we're uh, waiting in line, I we're, we actually brought a laptop and we're watching The Phantom Menace on the laptop. So we're just like laying down on the sidewalk watching Phantom Menace. And then suddenly there's, I see a shadow out of the corner of my eye and it's someone holding a, a puppet of Triumph, the insult comic dog, the the Robert Smigel uh, puppet from Conan. He's like, you're for me to poop on ah. that whole thing. And uh, and he just goes, oh, Jar Jar Binks, he's cool, huh? And I say, yeah, for me to poop on. And he goes, oh, you think you're funny, huh? And I look up and it's Robert Smigel holding Triumph, the insult Whoa. comic dog and there are cameras on me. <laughs> Of course, Brian. And, and then he says, do you think George Lucas could use CGI to make it look like you have a girlfriend? Wow. <laughs> nice. And I said, no, I don't think that technology is there yet. And then uh, whatever. So <laughs> I was like, oh, I was just <laughs> interviewed by Triumph the Insult Comic Dog. And unfortunately, that video is online. You can watch Triumph at the Star Wars line. And it's awesome. And a lot of the people there, I'm like, oh, that guy being interviewed is sitting in a circle talking to us in this moment. Uh, but my my interview didn't make the oh, cut. So, so sorry, yeah. Brian. Yeah. On the editing floor somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> when I heard that you got tickets, though, three times in a row... I guess I naively immediately inferred that you would have given up some of your other tickets to let other people see the later showing. <laughs> nah. No, 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 no. You saw it three <clears throat> times in nine hours. Yeah. We also got to see the uh, Men in Black 3 trailer. And, or no, 2. Yeah, 2. Hmm. And uh, Matrix Reloaded Revolution. So Ooh. sitting in a theater with a thousand people. That's and the pretty sc- awesome. The screen goes black and then you just hear like, and the little green characters come down. And then you have... Will Smith going, are you ready to wear the last suit you'll ever wear for the rest of your life? Again? <laughs> so by the third time, we're, like, trailers. we're going, they are good trailers. again! <laughs> it was a really fun time. Aww. And appropriately, he and I are going to see uh, episode nine twice in the first two days that it's out. So I'm all right. I'm all what sad. an adorable friendship. Some things yeah. never change. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. So I, I think, like we said, the, the finale of Attack of the Clones was very satisfying at the time. Seeing Yoda jump around was like, whoa, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the reveal of the purple lightsaber. Awesome. Awesome. Mm. The best lightsaber. Also, there's a moment of two-handed lightsaber fighting, which I think should have gone on way longer. It's like a very brief part of the lightsaber fight at the end, but it's like what I always wanted. Yeah. We have double-bladed. Now let's do some two-hander. Thank you for bringing this up because this is (laughs) one of the lessons I want to ding. I'm just going to wait for three, but... Do the full scene two-hander. Right. Like, no one likes going from more lightsabers to less lightsabers. Nope. Right. If you're going to have an action Fewer, sequence, right. you need to get more over time or something. <laughs> yeah. But, like, don't slowly cut well, the double blade in half. Episode have. three does test that. With General Grievous. <laughs> but again, it's like, it, but then it goes down. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's <laughs> eye rolly, and then he cuts off two immediately. And so it's, what was the point of this? Mm-hmm. But, like, it, it's Anakin Skywalker, like... Let's give him a whole scene where he's exactly. using two lights at once. Exactly. Let's do it. Yeah. Also, episode one, 
he Darth Maul, you know, extends the lightsaber and then he extends the other side. It's a two bladed lightsaber. Episode two, it's got a curvy handle. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely running out of things to do with lightsabers <laughs> yeah. by, by the third one. Um, real quick before we move on, one thing I love about these movies though is the sound mixing. Um, I, a lot of times in my theater at home, I'm like, ah, the dialogue's not quite loud enough. Or if I turn it up, then the action scenes are too loud. And these prequels just felt perfect. They just felt like everything was really satisfyingly mixed. And maybe my favorite moment of sound design, not sound design, sound mixing in, uh, Star Wars is the seismic charges in episode two. Yes. Where they just, suddenly there is complete silence. Like I literally thought the speakers broke in the theater. Like I thought <laughs> yeah. something got pulled. There's just complete silence. And it's like, yeah. there's something about that, that even no matter how many times I watch that movie, it just still gets me. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. It's very satisfying. Yeah. I mean, the sound mix and the visual effects in all of these are stellar. Like for what they were at the time, you know, they, they were cutting edge technology a lot of it still holds up now. Some of it really does not. Um, the sound mixing and sound design, I think, really, really do. Mm-hmm. For, for me, it's weird, especially in well, all three movies. But there's moments where it really doesn't hold up for me. And there's other moments where it really does. Like like the battle droids in episode one. The visual one, effects. You mean? Mm. The visual effects, sorry. Yeah, yeah. The, the battle droids in episode one still look really good, actually. And they, kind of the lighting on them and the way they kind of have a griminess to them. Really, I really buy it. But then it's what I was talking about with the, the sets. Like, I want them to be on real sets. Like, just, mm-hmm. just build the a sets, set, George yeah. Lucas. Because that's where I really feel it is where everything is CG. Every wall, every f- floor, window is CG. And then you just, it doesn't feel right. Something's wrong. You know, there's, yeah. you, you, was, can't, you can't replicate the vibe of an actual set. Yeah. It was funny watching these with my digital artist girlfriend who loves Star Wars and had a fun time rewatching all the movies with me. But just during the prequels, just every five minutes, you just hear, yeah i mean yeah some of the visual effects really don't hold up and you can really see the compositing like you're saying alex like just the environments don't look real at all like you have all the Uh, money just build a set like commit to the look of the set but Mm. i think and this is another thing that the prequels have given us that is positive overall i think is it did push the technology forward yes. like sure. the things they were doing yeah. had never been done before shooting digitally right shooting yeah. it was digitally a big deal it was the, the first thing to do like big yeah. movie to do that the idea of a cg character jar jar had never been done before and right like, right then we got Gollum a few years later so like there was technological you know advancement happening uh and it itself didn't hold up but i think it provided a lot of tools that right. were then right. useful Of course. I mean, and no one is going to deny the legacy of these films. Like, they, well, they made their money. I mean, truthfully, like, we can, you know, pan them now and hate them now as much as we want to. And they were not exactly welcomed with unequivocal positivity at the time. (laughs) But they made their money. They, like, cemented the franchise as this, like, franchise with potential to keep going. Like, they... Economically viable, this franchise is. Yeah. If if nothing else. People did pay to see them in a theater. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. We will. We'll go pay to see our Star Wars all day. Yeah. We'll talk about that in the next one, I think. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So going into Revenge of the Sith. So for me, there was literally a single shot that I had in my head. This was how I had managed my expectations. (laughs) Where going into three, I was like, I just, there's just one shot I want. And if it's in the movie, I'll be happy. And magically, it was in the movie, like it blew me away. But it's at the like the very end where it's kind of doing that montage wrapping up. This is how everything connected to episode four. I know the one you're about to say. It's on the Star Destroyer and it's like a super wide shot. And it's it's exactly like it looked in, you know, A New Hope mm. and Darth Vader's walking onto the bridge and it's just like composed perfect. You can see the Death Star a little bit outside and it just looked super Star Wars-y. Mm. And I was like, okay, cool. At that point in my life, that's all I wanted, and it gave it to me, and that made me happy. Yeah. Rewatching it now, <laughs> this was definitely the hardest one to get through for yeah. me. I I I watched it today. Yeah. I felt I like also watched it today. I feel like my like uh my my like essence like the like my like my energy <laughs> like the essence of my being like was depressed by it. I don't like, know, I, I just really did not enjoy watching it. Like Dark Crystal, somewhere there's a vial of you that's yeah. like <laughs> I drink to It drained me. Like like I don't know. I feel like a Star Wars movie, even if it's not great, should at least give me a little jazzed or kind of I don't know, make me feel kind of happy. But so much of that movie just it just sucked me dry mm. of joy. Well I don't it's know. super dark. So it's not yeah. supposed to be fun in that sense. Like and not that I'm yeah. I'm not defending it. Sure. I'm just saying it is the first of the Star Wars movies to be rated PG-13. Mm. All of the mm-hmm. others were rated PG. Now, in the original trilogy, when it was made, there was no such thing as PG-13. Um, and I'd be interested to know, like, I'm sure they're still rated PG now, but there's some stuff in it that's scary and, you know, kind of dark. But but they did. They rated Revenge of the Sith PG-13 because it is dark throughout. Listen, a lot of kids get murdered yeah, right. in this movie, and there is not one like happy thing at the end of it basically like luke and leia make it out okay but we all know what we of, all of... know where that's going but it is lucas set out to make this classical tragedy it's like the first three movies could be called the tragedy of darth vader right, right? um in a shakespearean sense and so it makes absolute sense that you would feel bad Right. During well, most of that film. But I think, unfortunately, I think, I think the, the soul deadness I felt was like <laughs> in the craft more than the oh, content. Of course. Yeah. And I think it just starts at the very beginning with the opening sequence. Where oh, it's really it's bad. Try- <laughs> it's trying really hard to like, I feel like he had some feedback about, you know, there needs to be some more fun and characterization and life in these people. And he tries and it just falls even flatter than when they were stoic. Like I, yeah. it, like episode three opening sequence makes me want to go back to like Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan being super stoic. Cause there's so much like attempts at banter that are so painful. And it's just, it's such a bad 
quote to start this movie off with. It's just yeah. and it's so weird because again, I remember my experience watching it the first time, being like, "Oh, they did it this time!" Like this opening sequence is actually kind of like cool, and like it starts with a long take, and it's CG, so that's cheating. But you know, he's doing interesting things with it. And but watching it again today, I I feel exactly the same. Like nothing that it I feels cheap in a, in a really sad way to me. And I think like you were saying, Trisha, the darkness of it, I think. I gravitated to when it came out and I was like, okay, they're finally getting into it and like stuff is happening. And that was enough for me to feel like it was good, but it's not. No, (laughs) you can't just, you can't just tell a sad story and then expect that to have the gravitas that you wish for it to have, especially when you open it. Like this one opened. I was really angry watching that opening it's a really sequence upsetting, this afternoon. It's a really upsetting opening sequence because there's other parts of the movie that aren't that bad. No. But they... to start your movie this way, it just feels really cheap. I don't know. Anakin and Obi-Wan are like in a life and death situation throughout the opening sequence. They're in this dogfight and they're trying to rescue the Emperor. Or he's not the Emperor yet. Supreme, I'm sorry. Supreme Palpatine. Chancellor. Supreme Chancellors. <laughs> Titles matter. Yeah. Uh, but... They're trying to rescue him. It's very dire, but they're joking around. And then, Constantly. yeah, then when they get in there, Anakin just beheads Count Dooku. Do it. Like, yeah, he he straight up murders him in the first couple minutes, and they go straight from that back into banter, banter. You saved my life nine times. Actually, this is ten times. What? It doesn't work. You rob everything out from under that scene when you try to, like, give them this, like, again, they're trying to make up for a lack of character work that should have been done earlier. They're right. trying to create more of this jovial, brotherly relationship so that then the turn at the end will have some weight to it. But it doesn't work that way. We've been with these characters already for two movies. If you want us to care about them, you should have started earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Less than 11. Dang. <laughs> I think my um, I remember walking out of the theater and my friend just we're just <sighs> walking out of the theater. My friend goes, well, George Lucas can stop now. Like, that's how just deflated wow. we were. Yeah. And I think that my expectations were so low this time that I was just like, this movie's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I actually enjoyed it because I felt like it was it was moving more and it had sort of more actiony kind of sequences and stuff. And it's like, yeah, you're following this very dark story, obviously. But I also just felt like I was. Because I, I didn't care that I wasn't going to think it was a great movie. I just enjoyed looking at it, basically. Images mm-hmm. <laughs> just, just flashing in front of your yeah, eyes exactly. and sounds entering your... I just turned into a toddler. And yeah. Like, well, and, and once again, like you said, Michael, everything is good on paper. Like mm-hmm. the idea that there's this forbidden love with Anakin and Padme. They have a love child that's on the way that nobody knows about somehow yeah even though she's like super pregnant no one no one's ever like right and they're jedi like what 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 can they know and what can they not know yeah they just they just she's been eating a lot of pears (laughs) at at one point at one point she goes oh yeah obi-wan was just here yeah and i was like did he not have any questions for you we're like like, yeah are you seeing someone yeah what (laughs) Yeah. Obi Wan's the father. Oh my god! <laughs> but but yeah, it's it's actually on paper. It's a it's a good dilemma. It's like Jedi's aren't supposed to have yeah. attachments. She's going to die in childbirth. Let's, we can talk about that later. But how she actually dies, I like I like that as a intractable conflict for a character. Of I'm not supposed to have attachments. I have somebody I love. They're gonna die. 
but I need to let go of my attachments. Like, how can I do that? All that's great in theory, but man, I I was so sad watching this movie at just how like depressed Natalie Portman must have felt in in her, for her role in episode three because right. she's a strong character in one and parts of two. Like, right. Like I was she, thinking about what you said yeah. about Princess Leia, yes. Trisha, and the it original like, trilogy. It's the it same was all thing over again. Happened. But she was like, it was literally, she was, I'm going to sit in this apartment and literally like make a baby. And that's my <laughs> only, that's my only role in this movie is to sit here and like be sad and make a baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, when they put her in at the very last scene where they finally let her wear pants. <laughs> 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 like let her she like goes and takes this ship and they're like oh no you shouldn't go and she's like i'm going like and she's you know she's like sort of dressed all action even though she's like action pregnant lady i'm like cool and she's like no I, i've got c3po i'm good I've got, i'm gonna go handle this i'm like they're giving her some agency finally but at that point it's been so undercut by how little she has to do in the rest of this movie and how dependent they they make her on anakin like they right you know it's like if she she's like I'm not gonna die in childbirth I promise I'm like really what are you doing <laughs> right. about it Padme yeah. like I mean their dialogue in three is even more oh, more boy. the room than episode two in some ways like, I, I it's love amazing I think one of you guys maybe liked it on Twitter maybe you Trisha but somebody was like that the whole like oh so love has blinded you no but maybe it has but yes someone <laughs> someone posted on Twitter and they just said is this dialogue is this dialogue. <laughs> yeah. What is this dialogue? Is this dialogue? Oh. I don't know that it can be called that. <laughs> I I said the word no out loud in my apartment today when that scene happened. I was like, no. 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 Oh, God. <laughs> well, just, just really quickly, to kind of wrap up the Padme storyline, yeah. like, what is with her death? It's She's dying. It she's lost the will to live. But then she gives birth to her babies and she seems like happy to see them. And she even has like names ready for them. Like she knows what she's going to name her babies. And then she like, I guess, decides to die. Dunzo. Because there's no medical reason for her to die, according to the robot. Right. She's medically perfect. She's just lost the will to live. So we're supposed to accept that like Anakin turning dark side She's going to like self-terminate herself, even though she just gave birth to babies. Well, it's, very, it's very Romeo and Juliet. I'm not defending the choice. Like, I'm saying it's it's like purposefully being like, framed that way. I what, think- what if he what if he actually by choking her like, you know, kills her like like you could have killed her in a way that's really tragic and amazing. Right. But right. not in a kid's movie. Yeah, you could have. He, he murdered for thirty well, kids. No, but not. He's definitely but like, an abusive boyfriend. Well, she'd have to have the babies first. Well, of course. No, no, that's okay. what I'm saying. Right. I guess like, you, if she was like mortally wounded by Anakin, but able to deliver the babies right. and then died, okay. yeah, yeah. then that's a really tragic, amazing story. Mm-hmm. But when the robot says, he literally says, "There's nothing medically wrong with her at all. She's simply lost the will to live." Right. It's like, yeah. I mean, it's exactly the thing. It's like if you had gone to the trouble. To give her a little more screen time, set up her story character development a little bit more. Right. How does she feel about becoming a mother? How does right. she feel about, you know, potentially having, you know, she has to hide their romance. She doesn't like that. That's mentioned one time where she's like, I want to tell somebody. Nope. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, I absolutely agree. You could have easily been like, no, I have to live for my children. And right. then she, but she's too wounded. Yeah. Yikes. Right. I just, yeah. Because once again, on paper, it's a really great tragic ending to a story, but it's done in this weird way. Why'd you do it this way? Right. 
Well, because, you know, Trisha, you said Romeo and Julia. And I think for me, it rings more um, like Greek tragedy Mm -hmm. where you have Sophocles uh, in Oedipus, as I think we talked about before in the podcast of maybe on the Matrix, where because you heard the prophecy, it makes you change what Mm. you're doing with your life. Mm. And so the question is, if Anakin wasn't having these dreams, would he have then set forth a course of action that led him to do all these things? Did Palpatine give him those dreams? You know, I watched it. Right. It's the first time I'd watched episode three, having seen Last Jedi, where I'm like, oh, yeah. who knows if maybe the like head bad guy was like, I'm going to make you think this thing's going to happen so that you will then follow through with these actions. Mm. Um, and uh, so, you know, it, it's it's the scene in the Matrix where the Oracle says, oh, if I hadn't said, don't worry about the vase, would you have turned around right. and would you have broken right. it? You know, and uh, and I think that's a cool, again, on paper, that's a cool choice to say, this is a, uh, as John York says, a darkened version, like mm-hmm. Breaking Bad or Godfather, where you do things for a sympathetic reason, but you, your flaw makes you do them evilly, <laughs> you know? Uh, so you set forth this course of action that ends up being tragic, but you're doing it because you believe it's the only option you have yeah and to george lucas's credit the reasons that anakin was originally going to ultimately turn to the dark side i read this somewhere were a little bit more political and they were a little bit like hazier kind of thing where it's like well i you know i believe in the emperor because i you know want to defeat the wars or whatever like the, the, the whole sort of stated reasons that they the jedi allow the chancellor to then become the emperor and remain in power all of this stuff that happens a lot of that i think was mixed more into anakin's story originally and george lucas zeroed in on actually it's this personal reason right because it has to do with this like love that he feels that he can't escape which he's allowed himself to fall in love the reason the jedi aren't supposed to have attachments is because they are supposed to be selfless see what happens yeah, <laughs> who are you talking to? <laughs> but I, but I would argue the Jedi talking to the Anakin. But I think I think it was a, a smart call on paper to make Anakin's turn about that because that is understandable as a motivation. It's probably about the only understandable one in yeah. this whole thing. I I would argue that compassion is what a Jedi does, so they are encouraged to love. Have a pair. Um, I mean, the Jedi's philosophy is weird in sure. the first place. So sure, sure. It's right. not hard for him to be like, eh. Although, when you talk about the no subtext to a scene, one line that I can't shake is when they're on rocks floating down a lava river. Um, and he says, from my point of view, <laughs> the Jedi are evil. And I think it's interesting because on a on a non-subtextual, or I guess on a on a non-textual level i'm like oh it's interesting he you can see how he has followed this thread to have this other viewpoint of who the jedi are but when you actually have your character say Say right from my viewpoint this that shows that he recognizes that they have opposing viewpoint it's like a weird self-awareness right exactly it's like and it's like if you're gonna take thesis is right (laughs) if you're gonna take your character to the darkest things imaginable like you can't have him except that there are multiple viewpoints. You know, it's the Jedi are evil, not, well, if you look at it from my point of view, I made this chart. You know, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, like, literally, I think every line in this movie reads like yeah. a note 
to the writer of like, I need to find dialogue that conveys this. Right. right. And it's just right. that. Like, this is the stand in line until we figure out the actual dialogue. Right. right. Yeah. But as like, producers say, it's not this line. It's not this one, but it's something like this. Yeah. yeah. Right? right. Here's the bad version. Yes, exactly. I just love when he's talking to Padme on the lava planet and he literally says, only my new powers can do that. Yeah. Only in response, my new powers can save you. <laughs> in response Love to like, can't yeah, save the childbirth you. stuff. Or right? only a Sith deals in absolutes, which is what? itself what? an absolute. Somebody proofread. It's like, I feel like that whole finale, <laughs> again, the first time it had kind of the weight that it was going for. Of like, this, it's all coming down to this. And this time it was like, this is going to be a curtain call of every bad thing that's happened in the prequels. We're going to bring it all out. And it's just the worst <laughs> dialogue. Like, it's just so now bad. They're, now they're surfing on robots in the lava. It yeah. goes on for too long. It starts off okay. Right. I'm like, down it's, with. It's pretty cool Their fight's first. like really fast at first. And it's kind of like really intense choreography. It's mm-hmm. blue on blue, which is like yeah. it's it's never cool. happened before. But then just keeps... Battle of the Heroes. Great piece of music. Yeah. And then they going. jump on the pipe. And at first I was like, all right, they're going to do Jedi stuff on the pipe. They're mostly just trying to balance that whole time. Like, right. it's not entertaining to watch the balance really on this pipe. It really slows down at that yeah. point. Yeah. And, and did you notice 13 dwarves come by in barrels when they're on the lava? <laughs> <laughs> I don't hate the decision of a lava planet in general. Sure. I hate yeah. the exact manifestation of the way this goes down. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. I agree. I will say the thing that is still fun for me and that I, when I watched it today, I remembered sitting in the theater and especially sitting next to my mom because every time a Star Wars movie comes out, I go and see it with my parents and like they would remember and especially my mom gets so into all the like action sequences and she, mm. you know, the Death Star Trench run, she's always so excited and giddy. And I remember sitting next to her when the Darth Vader mask gets put on for the first time. And I feel like that there is like 10 seconds there where it's it's like a beautiful moment before you know what comes after it. Right. Mm -hmm. And like it just slides (laughs) on and the sound and he takes the first breath and it's like, okay, yes, like this moment it's cool. Is good. Cut away. Cut away. Get out. Get out while you still can. This is where the scene should cut. You hear his breath done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember sitting in the theater grabbing the person next to me and going, oh, no. Oh, no. As he as he starts walking out before he right before he says no, I was like, oh, God, don't do it. Don't, don't, no. well, ah! Honestly, that's when I first saw this movie in theaters. That's where this movie destroyed me because the whole my feelings. prequel trilogy is building up to this scene. Right. Yep. It's all about this scene where Anakin becomes Darth Vader. Everything has been for this. And it's really cool. When the mask goes on, you hear the first breath, and then the and it stabs you in the heart. The dialogue, the performance, everything is wrong after that point. In the worst, like, I, how could you? How? Like, like you had to try to do it this bad. Like, how did you do it this bad? I just don't know. I don't know. When he Frankenstein like breaks free of his restraints, yeah, it's just. Ugh. Here's the thing, though. Some of the other corny moments in the finale of Revenge of the Sith, though wouldn't bug us i think they wouldn't bug us as much if that one wasn't so bad so like the scene where they give luke to his aunt and uncle and they go stand up on the rise and you see the sunset yeah they're looking at the blue screen yeah they are it's corny but it wouldn't bother you that much if it hadn't been placed next to three other very corny annoying on the nose scenes yeah it it doesn't even bother me that much at all it just i can forgive a lot of things but 
the like the Darth Vader scene, the scene where he becomes Darth Vader. Like you can't screw that one up. Like that's of all scenes. Oh, but you can. Uh, and then and then Joel Edgerton when he takes Luke, he just says, "Well, I hope taking this baby doesn't burn us someday." <laughs> Credits. I'm going to kick you under the table. Umbrud doesn't have a single line. No, she doesn't. And this whole like she shows up, she just stands there, and she's like, "I'm I'm going to be someone later. I'm not anyone right now." What was fun, an interesting thought experiment that one could have before, and now it's more complicated, but to kind of wrap up the experience of watching the prequels was for someone who hadn't seen Star Wars, in what order do you show them Star Wars mm. was a question, and that was a, a popular deba- debate I would have with people. I finally found my order. Go ahead. Yeah? Okay. The one I uh, arrived at, at for Revenge of the Sith was my roommate, uh, Steven had never seen any of the Star Wars movies at all when he came to live with me. And so I was like, well, we have to watch the originals. We did four and then we did five. And then I realized that three was coming out soon. And I was like, actually, let's wait. Let's So we did four or five. Let's go back to one and two. And then we'll see three in theaters and then do six. And that was actually Interesting. a very like the the emotional ride of that was cool for him and like you know he didn't know that luke and leo were twins so that was like ah. a big moment in three and oh, so like a twist cool. it added like weight and momentum to three so then it was like well, now i gotta go do return of the jedi so for a long time that was the order that i recommended to people that's oh. what's your order brian well yeah so i i mean i think the best order is to not watch all of them um <laughs> yeah there i mean there, there's like the the famous i think it was topher grace made um a 90 minute cut of the of the prequels, prequels yeah. did he ever it, release that no but access to that but the story is that it opens with duel of the fates and then qui-gon's like hey train the boy and obi-wan says gotcha and it's like <laughs> yep that's pretty much all you need from episode one right <laughs> um but i was like i want to watch them all and before Force Awakens came out, my friend and I watched on May the 3rd, May the 4th, we watched one through three, and then we watched four through six. And it was so weird to watch in that order because like the most badass, like wise Jedi in the galaxy is then like fighting over a droid for a candy bar and just like is this doddering old fool. All the shocking things of the original trilogy are just delivered in like dialogue just like yeah. oh luke and leia here they are and i thought that doesn't work so i said i want to watch the original trilogy first like let's watch the original movies first period i don't want to watch anything before them and then i was after six i was thinking well i don't want to watch the prequels now i want to <laughs> go forward to seven so then i was like okay four five six then seven and eight and then i assume in the future i will want to then continue to nine uh and then say i'm done i'm done watching star wars now I'm going to go back and watch the one, two, and three. Like as sort of like, now I'm going to watch this other separate, not really connected thing. And then you watch one, two, and three. Then you watch Solo because it's like also kind of cartoony and fun like the prequels. Uh, and Darth Maul's in it, so it connects to him a little bit. Then you watch Rogue One, which then sets you up to start all over again next time mm-hmm. you watch it. Mm-hmm. But I just thought like, yeah, the, I, I, enjoyed the, I enjoyed watching the prequels so much more when I had already watched four through eight and was just like, I'm done with my sort of like Star Wars experience. Now I can just turn my brain off and watch these prequels. And it was so much more fun when that was like past the needing them to be anything kind of mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's why see, that makes me so sad. And that's why Disney, if you're listening, this is a passion to plea. Let me remake the prequels. <laughs> I think 
like, who's going to be upset if you remake the prequels? It can't get worse. The worst thing that'll happen is you'll make more money. But, like, you could remake the prequels and make them amazing. Like, I feel like we've learned so many lessons from the prequels and from the new trilogy and all these things that, like, you could keep, keep the same toys. We don't have to, like, change that much. But I think you could take the story and remake them to be to live up to what they're supposed to be. You actually would want the challenge of taking the like Anakin Skywalker downfall story and making like the best version of it. I feel like, yes, I think it'd be the hardest thing I'd ever do in my life, but I, I'm super down for it. <laughs> Disney, you should let him. And for, and this is, we are going to talk about the new movie, so I don't want to say too much about it yet, but this is one of the reasons I really, really respect The Force Awakens because you are essentially climbing into the cockpit of a crashed Millennium Falcon <laughs> and trying to fly it out of a graveyard. Right. It's like, I really respect it. That's a hard job. It is the hardest yeah. cockpit in the world to sit in and... We have some top-notch filmmakers that have stepped up and done that for us. And with, you know, not perfect results, but I'm, like you said, the worst thing that happens is Disney makes more money and we all get more Star Wars. Right. So. Win-win. Win-win. So what did we learn from the prequels? Good question. Yes. Besides all the lessons we've already listed. We've listed some golden lessons yeah i feel like it's just like take your pick i mean i think for me it really i think the subtext thing really hit home is like sometimes you need examples of what not to do like very clear examples of what does it look like when you're doing this wrong and all the prequels and i think increasingly as they go on are great examples of bad subtext lack thereof of subtext and what it looks like when you need to do another draft of your scene or rethink some things so i think that's that's my big takeaways and i think i it was nice revisiting it as an adult that knows more about filmmaking to be able to identify that and be like the things that you're trying to get across are interesting but the way you're doing it is in the least interesting possible way um so i think that's the first thought way right is that that here's I have an idea for a story or for a scene or for whatever. Here's the first thought. Right. And that's what you see right. on screen. Right. So sometimes you need it just a slap across the face. And that's yeah. And eight more ideas. No. Yeah. What about you, Alex? I think it's in the same vein, but just kind of like, it's okay to get help. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> as, a, as a writer, like... Hold on, hold on. Hang on, Michael's struggling. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Speak, speaking of movies that feel very cartoony, Michael literally just did a spit take. Yeah. Whiskey. <laughs> literally just did a spit take. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm here. Go on. Because George Lucas, he's credited as you know story by George Lucas in all the original trilogy, but Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, it wasn't him doing all the writing. And I think that is shows. <laughs> um, and I think it's, you know, I think it's great to acknowledge what your strengths are, what your limitations are. And I'm trying to do that for myself as a writer. You know, what what are my strengths? Where do I need help? Where do I need to bring in other voices, other brains to help me get out of my bubble? And I think these prequels are a really interesting example of what happens when you don't do that, when you just stay within your strengths, which are maybe this kind of big picture storyline, you know, these big ideas but not the nitty gritty character motivations, dialogue. You may not be 
great at those. And if you don't want to get great at those, then bring in other writers to help you. There's a lot of great writers who could have helped these movies. <laughs> um, Truly. So I, I just, I think that if somebody like George Lucas wants to make more Star Wars movies, having a self-awareness of what your strengths and weaknesses are and being okay to bring in help to help you with those is my lesson from these movies. Well, it's something I think we've, we've talked about before also of like, if if you become too successful, maybe too quickly, there's no one to say no to you. And I think having people to say no and give you feedback, I always think about the line from the West Wing where President Bartlett says he likes smart people that disagree with him. And I think that's an important mm-hmm. thing to have when you're trying to make something. Yeah. Feedback I, is good. I disagree. <laughs> and that's why you're here. <laughs> Trisha. My thing goes back to character motivations. I think that what you're talking about with subtext, Michael, is important and is easiest to achieve when you as the writer have a really clear understanding of what your character's motivations are in every scene. So if you have two characters who each want something in a scene and the audience understands what that is, like, okay, we have these two people in a scene. We have Obi-Wan who needs information and we have this other character who doesn't want to give him any, right? So we, if we clearly understand what that is, then all of the other tactics that the characters take, it gives room for that subtext where it's like, Obi-Wan is trying to get this information. He's going to try intimidation. He's going to try bribery. He's going to try flattery. He's going to try whatever it is. This is obviously a hypothetical scene because none of the scenes in the prequels are remotely crafted in any way. Um, <laughs> but I'm saying those that subtext becomes possible when there are clear motivations established within the characters and the audience understands what those are, then when they're talking around an issue, we still understand the real issue they're talking about because it has to do with their goals. And these movies could use a little bit more of that is all I'm saying. There's, there, it's too convoluted and the character work hasn't been done. Um, there aren't personal stakes. It becomes this like weird political game minefield. Um, and then the, the stakes that are there are just surface. They're stated stakes and goals. They're not created by the plot and the situations and the actual characters themselves. So anyway. Yeah, I think that's a really good thing to underscore that in order for there to be subtext, the audience needs to already know what's going like there's other Your story text. work there needs to be text right yeah because <laughs> otherwise you're just not saying anything and that doesn't make sense either so right yeah or you're trying to let the dialogue do the lifting that the story should have done right right mm-hmm. brian uh i'm actually going to share a positive lesson from the the prequel trilogy we'll talk about this next time but my problem with force awakens was i think everyone else's problem which was it felt too familiar and I remember thinking, well, at least the prequels were trying to be something else. And I thought, I never thought I would bring up the prequels as like a defense of Star Wars. Um, <laughs> but it did occur to me rewatching this that like episode one, even though it doesn't really do a great job, is trying to be this political kind of intrigue. You know, it sets up Palpatine who's working both sides, blah, blah, blah. Um, Cause you think what's episode one about? Oh, it's about Darth Maul. He's on screen for five and a half minutes. Like he, the that best is five and a half minutes of the movie. I agree, <laughs> but he is not what episode one is about. Then episode two is this caper of like solving this mystery and blah, blah, blah. And episode three is this kind of Greek tragedy. So I think that 
like we talked about with Aliens and Terminator 2, sort of the same premise, but with a different designing principle, it feels like the prequel trilogy is telling one story, even if episode one doesn't do much to tell the Anakin, just like here's a kid who pod raced and then got on a ship. But like it's three movies telling one story, but each movie is its own thing. And it kind of takes a different approach to telling its own story, which is part of this greater story. And again, that's way better on paper than it is uh, as executed. But I think that's, that's the thing I probably appreciate the most about the prequels. Ding. Ding. I, I'm with you there, Brian. That's what I want more from new Star Wars movies is, yeah. you know, yeah, take this world, take this premise, but give us a different designing principle and mm-hmm. really commit to it and give us a good movie that is genuinely different in its structure and in its beats than previous Star Wars movies. But then it's a balance because last time we said don't stray too far from the thing. Like we didn't bring up the diner scene in episode two. Which is the well, fir- which is the first time that this that's, that's a weird strang. You know, that's I don't know. I don't know that's strang because I think you can stray in the sense of like what type of story you're telling. Yeah. But breaking the universe <laughs> right. is different to me. Like, right. Like this is an earthbound thing, like a 50s diner from Earth exactly. is on Coruscant. And that, that doesn't feel right. Bothers me. Yeah. You want a cup of Joe? Yeah. <laughs> ja- no, a Jawa juice. Oh, okay. Yeah. I do love Dex though. He's very, he's very cute. It's fun. Obi Wan. <laughs> well, and there are even things in, you know, if I watch the deleted scenes of A New Hope, I, there are things that feel like they would be universe breaking. Yeah. Right. They were in the actual, really? yeah. like when Luke is hanging out with his friends, it's yeah. like, oh, it's like a seventies like hangout like spot. It mm. feels like it's out of that other movie that he did. American Graffiti. Wow. Yep. That one. <laughs> Great. Why don't we quickly go around and say what we've been watching recently? Trisha. I saw The Irishman, as all of you can. It's on your Netflix. It is, as I'm sure you've heard, Martin Scorsese's new movie. It is very long. It is Al Pacino and Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci, and they are old. And <laughs> not the whole movie, though. Not the whole movie, though. And you know what? It's pretty damn good. Um, it is It is really long, and and yet somehow it doesn't, feel boring like you're kind of at the edge of your seat wanting to know what's going to happen next it's this like it's a really interesting if you've seen a lot of Scorsese films it's an interesting departure because it's definitely a gangster movie but it's a gangster movie in a way that feels um I don't know relatable like they managed to make De Niro really likable and interesting and he certainly does a lot of bad stuff in the movie um anyway it's just and I was really worried about the technology because they do a lot of de-aging of those those three mature actors. And and you know what? They look pretty good. Like, it, it does get a little distracting here and there, especially when you first see it. You're like, oh, wow, that's distracting. And sometimes the physicality, like mm. you've de-aged their faces, but you haven't de-aged when, when their physicality. When De Niro's beating up the guy, guy at the yes. corner store. That's exactly the like, scene I was thinking of. This is an old man's body with a young man's face. It's like, maybe a stunt double for the scene. <laughs> uh, just put his, De Niro's face on it. But but honestly, most of the time, it truly does work. And it it's pretty good. Like, I'm expecting to see some Oscar nods and maybe even some wins for this yeah. film. So. I mean, the fact that it took till 2019 for Scorsese and Pacino to make a movie together. Seriously. And De Niro and Pesci are also in it. Like, I want it to be three and a half hours long. Oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, and they are fanta- they're all fantastic at every moment. Really? Yeah. Pesci is no, actually, Pacino. like, 
I'm expecting a best supporting actor not yeah. for Pesci, and he might win it. Yeah, like he's excellent. I mean, he should have gotten it for the Michael Jackson Moonwalker movie. So. We all agree about that. Yeah, <laughs> Brian, what have you been watching? So you recommended Fleabag, the TV show, Phoebe Waller Bridge's TV show. Alt Shift X also recommended Fleabag. Uh, I'm not going to recommend Fleabag, the TV show. I'm going to recommend Fleabag. Phoebe Waller-Bridge's one-woman show, uh-huh, the show, show, the play, uh, which she originally um, did for the Edinburgh Fridge, Fringe and won awards, and that's how it turned into a series. Then she remounted it a couple months ago on the West End in London. And one of my favorite things to do is to go to National Theatre Live, which is the uh, the National Theatre in London. They screen performances of their shows around the world so you can go to your local movie theater and it's a certain day at a certain time so it's like such and such day at 7 p.m that's the day you can go and watch this show and sometimes they'll even do it live where you go at like 1 p.m on a tuesday and you can watch their their actual screening that night so i went and saw frankenstein which was directed by danny boyle and had uh, Johnny Lee Miller and Benedict Cumberbatch, the the two of the three Sherlock's, mm-hmm. um, as Frankenstein and the creature, and they swapped roles every night, so you could actually go see one casting and then go see the other casting. It's really fun. It's awesome. I saw Benedict Cumberbatch's Hamlet. I saw Kenneth Branagh's Macbeth, Ian McKellen's King Lear, and most recently Phoebe Waller-Bridge's Fleabag, and it's just her sitting in a chair for an hour and a half, basically telling you the story of the first season of the show with a couple things from the second season and it's just it's a powerhouse performance and she's incredible and my broad recommendation is go see national theater live because it's always great andrew scott the sexy priest from a uh, second <laughs> season of fleabag is also in the show right now that you can go see um but it was just awesome to to sit in a theater full of people and watch on a screen a woman on a stage sitting in a chair for an hour and a half and being completely riveted and like in tears at the end and she's just phenomenal so i was sitting here i was like i got one this time that no one else will have i saw fleabag live no and then Brian no. The- if i had thought there was any chance anyone else would see <laughs> that that's yeah. why you were glaring at me yeah <laughs> but it was it was amazing. so i saw and anakin lee i will echo everything that brian said it was really amazing it was the first time that i'd been to one of these like theater on screen things uh, and I did have some trouble getting over it. Like, I feel like theater just doesn't translate, translate to film. Mm-hmm. But despite all that, it was riveting. And it was really amazing seeing it in this one woman show form and kind of thinking about the process she must have gone through to adapt it to a TV show and kind of reverse engineering. That was really interesting. And then imagining sitting in a theater with her doing that, I feel like would have amplified it even a thousand times more for mm-hmm. me. Um, but yeah, it, it was really amazing. So it's a weird one to see for your first national theater live, like Frankenstein <laughs> by Danny Boyle, like the cameras were all over the place and there was mm-hmm. close-ups, and, the, and it felt like you were watching not a movie, but still like a nice stage production. Mm-hmm. Whereas a woman sitting in a chair, it's like, there's two angles, right. you know? Yeah. Medium and far. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. What about you, Alex? Well, I've been binging the crown season three on Netflix. So good. Yeah. New so cast, good. new Olivia cast, Coleman. new era. Olivia Coleman is great because she's always great. Um, and I love, I just, I love this new season. I think it's great. I've really enjoyed The Crown through seasons one and two. I loved Claire Foy and the whole cast previously. And I used to, you know, I used to 
Michael, I, I was like not a fan of the King's speech. And I was like, oh, why is this movie winning all the awards? I'm just so over these like royalty movies. I don't care about their stories. But the crown has won me over. The royal family is really fascinating. And there's so many interesting familial stories to tell here. And I think this season, especially my favorite episodes so far, have been involving Prince Charles mm -hmm. and uh, Princess Margaret, the queen's sister, and just exploring what is it like to be a part of this weird situation where there's all these strange expectations on you. You're part of this symbolic thing but you're also just trying to be a person and live your life. I think it's it's amazing how the show both has great character studies and also is almost an education on British history. Yeah. Um, I, I've learned so much about 20th century British history that I never would have known before. So really recommend it. And also just exquisite production value. So gorgeous. It's like stupidly pretty and well shot and great music and just really, you know, just British. <laughs> I have a question for you, which I'll ask on mic because other people might have the same question. Yes. I have not seen any of The Crown and I want to eventually, but I love Olivia Coleman so much. Can I just jump straight to season three and catch up on the first two later? I think you probably can. I don't know if all the characters are really introduced in a way in season three for like a new audience. Like there might right. be characters that you just kind of jump in on. And the show expects you to have spent some time with them. Right. Even you, though they're a new cast. So You can, but I wouldn't. Yeah. I, okay, cool. Yeah. I think, you know, season one expects you don't know these characters. Right. And season three expects that you do. Cool. So Awesome. Cool. Uh, okay. Well, we just talked about the prequels. There was a lot of things to say. We said Whew. a lot of things. There's a lot left unsaid. Uh, I'm glad we got the diner in there. Yeah. Because yeah. that was unsaid. And it, that was also a brain breaking moment for me sure <laughs> when i first saw that movie awesome well thank you everyone for listening so this is uh episode two of three that we are doing on star wars so we did the original trilogy we just did the prequels and we'll be back soon doing the new trilogy leading up to the release of the rise of skywalker thank you for listening thank you to everyone that supports the show on patreon if you want to support the show head to patreon yeah and we'll see you next time <laughs> <laughs> bye everybody bye bye <laughs>